0: Hi, and welcome to Walk Talk, a podcast courtesy of the Wound, Ostomy, and Continence Nurses Society. Walk Talk is your opportunity to learn more about advocacy, education, and research that support the practice and delivery of expert health care to individuals with wound, ostomy, and continence care needs. Please visit wocn.org podcast to subscribe and make sure you never miss an episode. Now, here's your host, Jody Scardillo.
1: Welcome to this week's edition of WALK Talk. I'm your host, Jody Scardillo. This week, I'm delighted to sit down with Ryan McCarty. Ryan is the founder of Culture of Good Incorporated, an organization where he and his colleagues help other organizations with culture and leadership development strategies. Ryan is going to be our keynote speaker at WOC Next in Las Vegas this coming June. That will be on Sunday, June 4th, 2023. Thanks so much for joining me, Ryan. I'm so happy to have you here.
2: I'm excited to be here, Jody. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. So
1: I wanted to start out by having you tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to found Culture of Good Incorporated.
2: Long story, try to make it as short as possible. So for 20 years, I was in the nonprofit space. So from a pretty dramatic tragedy as a child, I had lost my mom at six to suicide. My father at the time was addicted to drugs and he had a drug addiction and really a broken family in that time. And during that course of that year, having lost my mom, my dad really got his life back on track. And I went into following his footsteps in terms of his giving back to community and doing good and caring about the world and looking for ways to live out our purpose in meaningful, fulfilling ways. And That's really the family culture after all of that tragedy took place and he getting his life back on track. Our family really moved in the direction of being very missional-minded, and he was never a pastor or anything like that, but we were basically full-time and doing good and giving back through the church and that type of work, and that's what really led me into spending those 20 years of my life, very purposeful, meaningful, fulfilling work, just really giving back and caring about the local community. And there was a moment about 20 years into me doing full-time ministry where I met the CEO of TCC. He was in one of my presentations on does your why equal your what? Do you have a why, like a purpose behind what you do every single day? Because that's your passion. That gives you that fire when things are difficult and Times are trying during work. And so he met me after my presentation. He said, I need to bring this into my business. <laughs> and that's the story. He said, I need to bring this message of why you do what you do every single day to my employees. See, at the time, he had, I think, right around 800 or 900 employees in 35 states across the country. And it was a large Verizon wireless retailer. And so you have these young retail employees that are coming to work and they're selling wireless phones to people coming in the door. But where do you get that sense of purpose and meaning? And I had done work for my entire life that was packed full of that. And so when I came to meet Scott Moorhead at TCC, that was an introduction into the business world, which I had no real acumen. And I had never been in the business world. Everything I had done up to that point was very nonprofit in that space and missional. And so my thought was, if we bring this idea of your why and passionate work into business, why don't we take all of that movement of good and caring for the community and caring for each other and the customer in fulfilling, meaningful ways and give employees an opportunity to tap into that in their work? That's really what formed the genesis of the culture of good in his business. We didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know, but we knew why. And we knew why we were doing it when we had that compelling why of connecting employees to a sense of passion beyond a paycheck and engaging them in meaningful, fulfilling work, not just at work, but in their community where they can see their impact and feel their impact. It became a movement called the culture of good that's now its own business where we go into other companies and teach them and other employers and leaders and developing that type of culture and leadership understanding of what does it mean to not just go to work because we have to get a paycheck or what does it mean to really show up and bring your soul to work every single day that was the genesis of the culture of good it came from an idea of what if we could operate for-profit business with the soul of a nonprofit, with that heart of caring and doing good? And that's why I love this opportunity that I have to speak to everyone at WOC, and it's going to be really awesome.
1: Great. So you must go into a company and sort of evaluate it and assess the culture and the climate and then help them get to where they need to be. Is that sort of your role now?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So Early on in the evolution of, so we got past the genesis, the evolution of the culture of good. We worked really hard, brought organizational psychologists into the business and sat down with employees to discover what were the success indicators. Why did culture of good take off so well? I mean, we saw 93% of employees stated that they felt fulfilled in their everyday work because of the culture of good, 93%. That's ridiculously unheard of. I mean, I would have loved 100%, but (laughs) you can't win everybody. But when you have 93%, that just keeps multiplying and growing. And so what we found in the evolution of it was we wanted to replicate this, but sharing this idea with other companies is a little more challenging. There's obstacles that I wasn't really privy to understand earlier on. And that is the culture of good, is cultural so when we define culture we say it's how most people feel believe and behave most of the time so when we think about culture to bring in the culture of good into an organization your culture is going to shift and what does that mean for an organization Do they have the time resource? Do they have the financial resource to back it up? Can they make the commitments long-term? A lot of companies have givebacks and they do good and they have employee engagement opportunities and different things, but they feel like one-offs. So there's leadership training, but when it comes to leadership development, it's not as available to most leaders. There's training opportunities or there's give back opportunities. And these are opportunities or they moments afforded to employees rather than an entire movement. So the culture of good is a movement. So what we found is what we needed to do were to take some steps back and say, do these organizations have the leadership culture to support a culture of good? A culture of good is one where people are caring for one another. They are driving the business to success so it can do more good. They're connecting with each other in meaningful ways. They're inspiring each other to do good together. They're authentic in their words and actions. Is there leadership to back that up? Because if there's not, we have all these cultural programs that we keep inserting into companies and we've promoted leaders into positions that they weren't developed to lead their teams and be empowered to lead their organizations. And so we now go in exactly what you said. We do assessment and have conversation and dialogue and observation and provide feedback. And who did we talk to? What did they say? What did we do? What were the outcomes? We're not looking for weaknesses. We're looking for opportunities. And what are the strengths of the organization? How do we build on that? And so a lot of what we do now is leadership development that leads into cultural development.
1: So then you sustain a positive change over time.
2: Yeah, because... When I shared the success indicators, like the care and inspire and all of that, we called them promises. And the reason we called them promises is because we wanted the employees to know that as an organization, the TCC organization company, their culture of good, they were making these promises so that this wasn't going to be a one-off or a short-term flavor of the month, new cultural thing. This is a long term. These are essentially the promises that we're making so that you then as employees can make these promises to one another and then also to the customers in the community. But I think a lot of times we want our employees to feel this sense of ownership, but we've not really given them ownership over anything. They can't have ownership over the business because they're not getting paid like an owner. It's a mute point to say, you should think like an owner. Well, my response to that is, well, pay me like one, right? (laughs) (laughs) Don't give me the problems, (laughs) but I want the paycheck. But... all stakeholders can take ownership of the culture. They can take ownership of the culture of their team. They can take ownership over their own contribution and their own investment in the movement. But what we are asking them to be a part of and to join into and to feel a sense of connection to, and more than just, I'm going to work again, and I have my peers around me, but can we connect on a deeper level can we know each other vulnerably and feel this sense of not a company just saying yeah we're family but can we feel beyond that can we build a community of people that care for each other care for every customer that walks in that door that we care for every client and then within our community what type of impact can we make as a collective force for good and when that takes place people identify their purpose and their sense of meaning in this world connected into where they work. And now we're talking about something way different than, you come to work for eight hours a day and I'll pay you this much. We're adding purpose, a sense of meaning, connection, not only to each other, not only to the customer and the community, also to themselves. I think that's a very powerful way of thinking about doing work moving forward. I think the future of work is really asking these questions. How are we caring for one another? When I think of nurses, this is right down this conversation. My mom that I lost when I was six, she was a nurse. The real story is, and I'll share more of it on stage, but she met my dad, who was a heroin addict at the VA. He was found by his sister strung out in an alley, and he was in the VA, and he and a nurse at the VA fell in love, and that's how you get me. (laughs) So apparently, if you put a nurse and a drug addict together, you get Ryan. (laughs) I don't know what that means, but she was a nurse when my dad remarried. A year later, he remarried. And so my stepmother that raised me was a nurse. My sister is a nurse. My mother-in-law is a nurse. (laughs) I have nurses all around me. And to think about the amount of care and the amount of love that nurses have for their patients, you almost have this sense, especially when you have these patients that are a part of your life as an ongoing there's a different sense of leadership when it's a leadership that's built on a foundation of service. And what I found in the nonprofit space was that I connected with leadership because it was built on a foundation of service. When I came into everyday business and work, I found that many times it's built on a transactional, what do I get for everything that I give you? And that is a shift that needs to take place. But I also would say this, that one of the opportunities I find within the space of leadership that's built on service, such as nursing, teachers, I think of firefighters, I think of many of those service oriented type occupations, we would call them vocations. So it's an occupation that's driven by a sense of why or purpose. I know nurses don't get into nursing just simply because it's a good paycheck. There's also this sense that I can care for people. And I think that there becomes an opportunity over time to take a pause and say, and also, have I lost my sense of why? Have I lost my sense of purpose in the midst of doing the everyday work and patient after patient after patient? And day after day after day and report after report after report and everything that's entailed within the life of a nurse. And then you're serving in so many ways. And I talk to nurses all the time. And I remember speaking back to Riley Hospital for Children, their nursing that they had for child care and life care services and so forth. And they just said, you know, over time, it's easy to lose sight of your passion. In that sense of when you first got into nursing and that I'm going to make a difference and make an impact. And I think it's really important to understand that you still are and that your why is still there and to remember that and to remind yourself why you got into it in the first place and that there's someone at the end of the finish line that's counting on you to continue the work that you've begun. I think that type of understanding and mentality is different than most regular, everyday jobs. It's really what I would say is you go from a job to a career, and then you go from a career to a calling. Nursing is a calling. It's not a career. It's not a job. But rarely do you go to calling fairs. It's career fairs and job fairs. That's true. The work of the future is focused more on the calling.
1: I think a lot of nurses definitely have the passion and the purpose and all that. I think now, in these times, people are tired. Burnout. Worn out, even if they're not burnout. And so will you talk a little bit about that in your, you know, about strategies to manage that or help that type of
2: thing? Yeah, I think we have to get out ahead of it or we're always reacting. And there's always going to be reactive aspects to our work some things we can't prepare for. We couldn't prepare for the pandemic. And the after effect, when all the dust has settled, and not all the dust has, but as dust settles, we start to see, as you're talking about, there's the great divide between what I want to bring to my work and what I can because of the burnout and everything else that takes place. There's self-care, and I think self-care is something that we talk about more and more at work, and what's available to us we should take advantage of when the work provides us that opportunity, if we have opportunity to meet with a therapist or a counselor, even if we don't feel like we need to. I think some of this can be preventative and also empowering. So I think about the idea of managing, moving to the idea of self-leadership. So if you were leading your own life, and you are, But if you separate it yourself from your life and say, okay, now I'm the leader of my life, what would I be telling my life right now? I would be telling my life right now, this is what you need for self-care. This is what you need in terms of time for yourself. This is what you need in terms of speaking up for yourself. It's that self-leadership. It's coaching oneself. And I think that to feel empowered to be able to do that matters more than here's the three techniques. Because at the end of the day, if I sit down with every single nurse that comes to the conference, every single one knows exactly what they need. It's on the inside of us. We are resourceful. We are whole. We are complete on the inside. Everything that we need is on the inside of us. Sometimes we need it coached out of us. And to ask the question and compelling questions... That a coach would ask, you can actually ask of yourself, you can ask of your own life, and you can hold yourself accountable in that way. And I think we need to be accountable to a sense of self leadership and say, what do I really need? Because I think what happens when we get burned out is we stop asking those compelling questions of ourselves. We just get into the routine and we're running constantly. And those questions aren't asked. We're not oiling and greasing the gears and we're just running the gears. And we're not asking that, what do I need? What do I need? What do I need? We're just simply running. And as we run, that's where the burnout happens because the friction takes place and We feel like we're in a rhythm for a while and we can maintain it. And then a pandemic happens. And then beyond that, everything personally taking place in a nurse's life and having to feel like once you put the scrubs on, you got to take the rest of your life and push it off to the side. So there's that reality of compartmentalism where you've got to compartmentalize your entire life because you can't care for yourself while you're caring for the patient There's a lot of dynamic around that. And when I was a pastor, I felt, I remember between two services, sorry if this grosses anyone out, but I was sick. I have like stomach fluid just hit me real quick. I threw up in the bathroom. What did I do? I went right back on the stage with a smile on my face and acted like everything was fine. And I know there's realities to leadership that are like that. But I also know that it's really, really important to understand that we Cannot give out what we don't first have. We'll talk a little bit about that for sure. Self care is going to be a big component of it.
1: So, did you ever think when you started down on this path yourself that this would
2: lead to where you are now? I don't even know where I am now.
1: <laughs> I just well, you're talking. Where to me. am
2: I now? I'm talking to you. You're there, yeah. <laughs> I had no idea that you and I would ever meet, Jody. That's right. <laughs> But here we are. And I think that's the beauty of life. Absolutely not. My heart was how many of these employees can I connect to their sense of purpose and meaning in life? I think that's just the most transformative thing that takes place for someone. When you understand how your life can make an impact in a meaningful way in this world, it just does something to you. It puts you back into your own sense of soul. And so certainly not. I thought once I moved out of the full-time ministry role into the business role, I would just continue to work on the employee side. And now as we're developing and training and systems and strategies and processes for other companies to do the same, this has been quite the growth for me. It's been 10 years of school. It really has. I started with very minimal business acumen at all. Before it was called Culture of Good, I wanted it to have some name around community. I thought, let's build community and let's do some good in the world with all these resources that businesses have. Let's make an impact. And also internally, I think there's no stronger teams when it comes to any type of for or nonprofit business than a nursing team the amount of I've got your back through the pandemic and after the pandemic and as teams are being built, that connection is so powerful. But now how do we continue to multiply and grow that and build that and sustain it in a way that is also going to help others? So yeah, for me, it's a joy. I love the idea that we can make an impact on the world and make a difference. And it doesn't have to be this huge impact either. I do want to mention that sometimes it's going out of your way for a fellow nurse or taking an extra five minutes to put a hand on a shoulder and say, I know I can see that you're having a difficult day. I just want you to know I'm here. And it doesn't have to be a real long conversation. Sometimes it's just showing up and that's enough. And I think that, that right there is a powerful way to start. How am I showing up for myself today? How am I showing up for my team today? And how am I showing up for the client or the customer or patient in this case?
1: So I bet you get a lot of opportunities to do keynote sessions and that type of thing. So what made you say yes to this one as opposed to something else?
2: Well, nurses. <laughs> <laughs> it's family to me. I get it. My kitchen table was an operating table. <laughs> you <know? laughs> you <know? laughs> I won't share all those stories. I mean, (laughs) a tennis ball is not a good replacement for anesthesia. I'll just say that.
1: (laughs) You would be talking to the right crowd, though, (laughs) I have to say.
2: (laughs) I totally know. But I also know that my mom and stepmom didn't care for themselves as much as they cared for others. That matters to me. So that's my why coming.
1: And have you ever worked with a large group of nurses or a group of nurses as a whole in this your professional role?
2: Yeah, I have. So I mentioned Riley Hospital for Children. That's been one that we've been very connected with. We actually brought the business itself into being a part of that. If anybody searches TCC, Riley Hospital, hug the hospital, It's we brought a thousand employees in superhero costumes down and kids were looking out the windows and We made a commitment, but instead of just simply writing a check, what we did was we decided to design, I don't think I have any, unfortunately, right here, but we designed screen cleaning cloths that were art from these kids that were at Raleigh Hospital and all of the proceeds. It was a skew in the stores that really didn't make a lot of money. And then we had the kids and we didn't give like 10% of the proceeds to Riley. We gave a hundred percent up to a million dollars. So that was the commitment and the employees got behind it. And just within a five-year period, we were able to commit and that's what we were able to do because the employees got behind it. Beyond that, was able to do workshopping with the nurses there and did a keynote at their conference as well and work with many of them and coach them one-on-one. I think it's really important to find someone that you can just blah, just talk to, just put it out there. Because at work, like I said, we're putting on a face sometimes or around our family, we have to, you know, stay strong. And some of us can be at a breaking point. And I think one of the greatest things that takes place in that moment is when we become vulnerable and we say, I can't do this on my own. I need someone else. And so that's, I think, a powerful idea of a way to begin moving in that direction. So Riley Hospital for Children has been the main one. I kind of trail off and I start talking about other stuff, don't I, Joey?
1: (laughs) We're really good. So we're going to just keep going, you and I. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I had to ask this question of every guest almost. What have you noticed with the pandemic and all the changes that are going on, like in society and in healthcare? Has that changed your work or have you noticed things, friends, or anything interesting from your perspective since we seem to be easing away from the pandemic world and into something
2: that's going to be a new normal, maybe? I think the dust is still settling. So for every organization or industry, that's going to look different. Within nursing, you can't have a whole lot of remote workers. So there's elements of the pandemic that matter within certain industries and others that don't. I think what really matters most is what has been talked about ironically, Jody, as I've spent the 20 years in nonprofit work, when we were talking about leadership, for me, that's the most exciting thing because... John Maxwell says, everything rises and falls with leadership. So when we think about leadership in terms of how do we empower leaders and that being myself as well as a leader to be empathetic, to continue to be caring, to show up in ways that aren't transactional, but they're transformational, that really consider the human side of our work and the person that we're impacting the most beyond just this is a patient, this is a customer, a client, but this is a human being that I care about. I think that also within the leadership context within for-profit business, shifting from autocratic driven to more participatory, how are more people involved and engaged? When we think about the workforce and hiring and staffing, It's really important that we're not understaffed because that continues to add to the complexity of burnout. And that's one of the biggest concerns coming out of the pandemic for frontline workers is we're understaffed is number one. And number two is that there's not clarity around why changes keep being made within the organization. Those are the two greatest fears coming out of the pandemic. For frontline managers, they're concerned about engagement and culture, which I'm a culture person, I'm an engagement person, that's great, but it's interesting that what the frontline managers are concerned about is different than frontline workers, and I think it's really important to listen to frontline workers. I think those that are on the frontline, that are out there doing the work day in and day out managing themselves, sometimes managing others on a team, those leaders is really where we need to be listening to in terms of how the future of work is going to look within any industry. And those concerns of being understaffed and not knowing why changes are being made. Those are the two things that really stood out to me. That all comes down again to leadership.
1: I listened to a couple of your podcasts on transformational leadership, actually. There are two episodes sort of right next to other. They were great. So it was really nice to hear that.
2: That's awesome. Thank you for listening in on that too. I really appreciate that. Sometimes you do a podcast and you're just totally wondering.
1: <laughs> Did anybody listen to this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have one for sure on those couples. So, <laughs> What's the name of that podcast too? Because there were a lot of good episodes that I think apply to what nurses do.
2: Yeah. Champion your culture. And you can find that on Apple or Spotify. You can also... Go on to championyourculture.com. That'll lead to our website that has a link. So yeah, champion your culture. It's myself and a co-host, George, who happens to be, by the way, George was a 10-year-old kid when I moved from New York City, Brooklyn, Bushwick, Brooklyn in 1993 to Indianapolis. And I was 16, he was 10. And we hit it off and became friends for a couple of years and then lost track of each other for almost... 20 some years and then reconnected. And it turns out his path and my path were parallel. He went into pastoring, had no idea. He ended up going into the wireless industry. I had no idea. And then he walked into one of the TCC stores and saw a book called build a culture of good with my name on it and said, that can't be Ryan McCarty. Wow. Can you believe that? I know that can't be the Ryan I know. And he got a hold of me on LinkedIn. (laughs) <laughs> wow, and the rest is history we're doing a podcast together it's just that too just every single week of being able to sit down and talk to him I do want people to listen but I don't care
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's enough to get to talk to him
2: it's so fulfilling to me that's exactly right yeah but we have fun they
1: were great episodes I have a list of some more
2: that I'm gonna get going on that's awesome thank you for sharing that
1: yeah I know I really enjoyed them So can you tell us a little bit about what we should expect from your keynote session in Las Vegas for WOC next? Can you give us a little sneak preview maybe?
2: Yeah, well, I'm a storyteller. You've heard a little bit of my story already today. And that story leads into a connection with a teacher. And I won't get too deep into it, but it was one of the most transformative moments or the most transformative moment in my life. And I'm going to share that from stage. I want to give very, inspirational, aspirational ideas and compelling questions and have some interaction. But also I want to get very practical because I want every single attendee that comes to have something in their tool belt that they can take back with them to their workplace and say, this is something that I can implement immediately. It's also transformative for me. So that's what everyone should expect. Inspiration, and also very practical takeaways that can be applied in everyday work. So that's great. A lot of our
1: members, and I've been in this type of role, you're a clinical expert, so you're seen as like a leader and you do a lot to drive clinical practice in the organization and you mentor new nurses and change processes and all the stuff. But a lot of us don't have like a leadership title, you're in charge of this. And so sometimes I think, To have some strategies to help that are really good for people that work like the WOC nurses or many of our WOC nurses.
2: I think two of the most powerful things that I've really pressed into over the last few years is project management and change management. Because that's what we're doing. We're leading projects, but we also, the change management piece is really crucial because that's the people side of change. Everything's changing tumultuously within the nursing profession, within the medical field constantly. And we honestly don't know what the next five years is going to look like. So there's a lot of uncertainty there as well. And to have a strategy that you can follow that becomes somewhat of a map, that you can have a mental map, that you can lead people through change as a leader. Because to your point, many times, if you don't have a position or title to back it up, it's easy to wonder... In terms of where is my role in all of this what position do i really hold within the organization and how do i lead well with all that uncertainty and when you get into a situation where there's uncertainty the first step is you look for what is certain and what can be certain are strategies because strategies although they can evolve once you find a really good strategy that becomes your process. And once you have a process, then that anxiety and the fear of pressing into something new is traded with a plan. A lot of times we don't know what to do or how to do it because we don't have a steady ongoing strategy of how our planning takes place. And so to your point, Everyone that's coming already has their planning and process, but to take a step back during a conference and say what works really well and how do I create a process that I can follow through that that then can produce the results that I wanna see consistently. So we're developing those habits and we're creating those habits for ourselves, And that I think makes our work and the way that we do things just a little bit easier. It doesn't mean that the load is lighter. But very similar to, I don't know if they work, but those, have you ever seen the commercials where they have those straps and two people carry a couch because they have those straps? But if you don't have the straps, then your arms are wore out and there's no way you can get it out of the house. And that's the idea is the strategies are, okay, what straps do we need so that we can have the knowledge and ability and the strength to be able to fulfill what we're supposed to do? And how to use the straps. How to use them. The how to is really, really important. That's exactly right. Cause (laughs) I tend to not read instructions. So (laughs) thanks for bringing that up. No problem. I'm the one that would just have the strap on his head. And
1: yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Nurses like to read directions, I find mostly. So, (laughs) or find it.
2: It'll be fun. I was raised by a nurse, I'm not a nurse. I'm like the pastor's kid, so you're gonna have to deal with me on stage because I'm like... <laughs> the nurse's kid, the NK. <laughs> How are the all the kids of nurses? <laughs> right,
1: right. Mine say they never went to the doctor unless they were dying, is what they say. Oh and yeah, for you sure. You had before you could stay home from school and. They say now is pretty traumatic, but I'm not sure.
2: <laughs> it was during a time in my era where it was Sprite for everything and Benadryl.
1: <laughs> oh, <laughs> I kind of like that.
2: <laughs> and surgeries, unless I was dying. <laughs> yeah, <so. laughs> That's funny. Ingrown toenails, that type of stuff. Experiments. Yeah, just little stuff. <laughs> minor, minor surgery. Minor. <laughs>
1: all right what else is important that i haven't asked you about i'm very excited to hear you in las vegas and i'm sure everyone else is too so what else anything we should talk about before we all get to see you in vegas
2: i would just say every single person is coming begin thinking about am i fulfilled do i feel feel is really important because when we think about culture being feeling believing and behaving it starts with feeling. so i think it's really important that we start subjectively And really take a moment to say, am I fulfilled? Am I empowered? And do I feel connected? And I want every single person, when we leave our presentation, because it's going to be ours, to walk out of that room with a greater understanding of their sense of fulfillment. Because sometimes we don't maybe feel fulfilled, but we don't really know we're being fulfilled. So once we know it, we can start to feel it fulfilled, empowered, and also connected so just thinking about those three words as we lead up to june 4th can't wait <laughs> i cannot wait either it's gonna be a blast and we'll have fun listen we're gonna laugh you'll probably want to bring some tissues there'll be some crying maybe also as we talked about a lot of great tactical ways of living this out so can't wait to meet everybody
1: sounds great well thanks for joining me today i really appreciate it that can't wait to you in Las Vegas.
2: Looking forward to it. It's going to be a blast. So thanks for having me on today and can't wait to meet everybody there.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Walk Talk. Please visit WOCN.org slash podcast for additional details about this topic and the speakers. You can also get more information about subscribing to this podcast so you never miss an episode and to get the latest news and information from the WOCN Society. Again, That's WOCN.org slash podcast. We look forward to having you join us for the next episode of Walk Talk.